today is the first Sunday of Lent. And it does feel weird talking about, you know, Lent, Eastery stuff. You know, we, we, we think of Easter, you think of flowers and all this fun stuff when, I don't know, I don't know how you can see behind me, but there's at least, what, four or five inches of snow on our deck behind me there. So it does feel weird talking about Lent now. But we're going to, because it's, it's Lent time. Now, a popular thing that people do at Lent is to give something up. A lot of times it's food. You know, people will fast from some sort of food during Lent, whether it is chocolate, alcohol, all processed sugars. Those are some popular ones. Other people will fast other things. It's a little outside of the box thinking. I know some people give up social media for Lent. I know some people give up their smartphones. I know one person who every year for Lent bust out one of those old Nokia brick phones. And that's what they use during Lent because they want to kind of fast from their over-dependence on technology. And the first time this person did it, they were unsure if it was going to work. You know, they pulled this because the old Nokia phone hadn't been used in 15 years at this point. Pressed the power button and it turned right on because of course it does. Because it's a brick. I'm pretty certain that in the post-apocalyptic wasteland, someone is going to find one of those old Nokia brick phones. They're going to fire it right up and it's going to work beautifully and they're going to be able to play Snake. You know, <laughs> as long as they want because those phones have infinite battery, I'm pretty certain. <laughs> now, there are a lot of reasons why people give things up or fast something during Lent. It can act as a teaching moment or a reinforcement of discipline, of relying on God. It can act as a reminder for us or a catalyst for prayer. You know, every time you think about or want the thing you're fasting from, you say a prayer. But the majority of things that we give up for Lent are not life-altering. They might be very meaningful for us in the moment, like, you know, sugar or chocolate. Those are pretty important to us. But in the long stretch, you know, the overarching view, they're, they're not that important. So for the next couple weeks, we are going to think a little bit bigger. For the next month and a half or so, we are going to be looking at things that we all too often cling too tightly to that we might be better off letting go of. And not just letting go of for a single Lent season, but forever. These are things that are really holding us back from truly thriving, from actually living our best life. And the first one of these things we're gonna talk about today is control, giving up control. Now, control is something that is a really interesting notion. It is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about, whether we realize it or not. Planning how to get more of it. Planning how to hold on to the control we have. And yet it's something that's so easily lost. So just a quick story to kind of illustrate what I mean. And how I've spent my past few weeks. So last fall, Christine and I decided to cut cable. We kind of looked at what we were going on and we realized, you know what, most of what we watch, we're watching through some sort of streaming service. The only thing we're really watching on cable is sports, SNL, the Graham Norton show, and maybe a cooking show periodically. That's not a lot. And so it didn't really make sense to pay as much as we were paying for cable for just those couple things. So we shopped around and we found a streaming service that seemed to have all the best options for most of the things we watched. That was way cheaper than what we were paying, so we did it. We made the switch. 
I understood our cable box. I spent an oh-so-fun afternoon playing with HDMI cords, power cords, getting everything arranged, getting everything neatly organized back there. So, like, it looks good. Everything's up and running. And, for the most part, we have no complaints. Thus far, it seems to have been a good switch for us. The really only real complaint that we have, and by we, I mean mainly me, is that I don't like the new remote control. There it is here. I know some people absolutely love these remotes. I am just not a fan of it. And honestly, it's mostly the fast forward and rewind functions. They talk about like, oh, just it's an easy swipe or it's a quick double tap. And no, it, no, it's it, it's all lies. It's fast forward and rewind functions are an absolute nightmare. So over the past three weeks or so, I have spent an obscene amount of time researching remote controls. I have read countless review articles, numerous spec comparisons, all in an effort to find the perfect remote control. Now, look, it's not like I have a ton of free time to be doing this research. I'm busy, just like I'm sure all of you are busy. So I recognize just how ridiculous it is that I'm spending all of this time researching and hunting for a perfect remote control. But I want my control. I want to have control over every aspect of my TV watching and playing video games. I want my control over that to be absolute. And I want that control to be with maximal ease. So thus I have spent countless hours late into the night reading dumb articles and comparing specs of remotes. Now, I realize this is just a small, comical, and honestly kind of stereotypical example of control, but it really hits at the notion of how much we value control and what we will do to achieve it, the lengths it will drive us to, staying up at two in the morning reading remote control specs. And this desire for control is really nothing new. I think arguably this is humanity's oldest struggle. If you have your Bibles, turn with me all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Here we will read about the fall of humanity. So up to this point in the story, the first couple chapters of Genesis, we have some creation accounts. God creates everything, including us, including humanity. And then God's, God tells humanity to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Basically, anything else is fine, just do not eat from this tree. And it's here that the plot really kicks into gear. So I'm going to start reading in verse 1. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now, notice the strategy the serpent is using here. What is the serpent dangling in front of Eve like a carrot? It's control. Look back again at verse 5. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. So there's an expression, knowledge is power, right? I'm sure every one of you has heard it. And this is 100% a true expression, right? Why do you think this has become such a popular notion? Well, it all comes from the idea that the more you know about something, the more control you have, whether it's control over an individual or control over a situation. The more knowledgeable you are, the better you can manage something, the more control you have over it. And this can be very, very good at times. Think about it. Would you want me performing surgery on you? No, absolutely not. That'd be terrible. I have zero knowledge of the medical field. You honestly probably would not even want me giving you a shot. You would want a trained surgeon, ideally with years of experience. Right? Right? Well, why is that? Well, because their knowledge, their training, their experience allows them to have control over situations better than I could. They would be in complete control. I would be running around not knowing what to do and I 100% it would not end well for anyone. We want control. And often the best way to gain control is through knowledge. And in a great bit of meta storytelling here, the serpent uses that knowledge of humanity to control the very situation in Genesis 3. Now, most of us know how the story goes from here. Both Adam and Eve disobey God, and they eat from the forbidden tree. And true to the serpent's words, they do gain the knowledge of good and evil. But they do not gain more control. In fact, it costs them what control they used to have. So we can see from the very earliest moments of humanity that our desire for control ends up costing us. Had Adam and Eve not wanted to call their own shots, had they not wanted to elevate themselves to the level of God, and had they maybe sought God's will in their lives, then who knows, I might be talking to you right now from a magical Mediterranean garden and not from my dining room in 10 degree weather. Just saying. But this just goes to show that our need for control is nothing new. This is not a modern invention. The notion that we can control things better than God is honestly maybe the most potent and often used arrow of the enemy. And this is one that Satan has tried to use even on Jesus himself. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Now, if you remember last year at Lent, we talked all about Jesus' time in the wilderness and how it related to us today in our seasons of wilderness. So I thought it would be nice and kind of a fun tie-in to start this Lent season with the same passage. So, just for a quick reminder, up to this point in Jesus' life, Jesus has been born, Jesus has just been baptized, and is about to start his ministry when this happens. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, 
where, for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to, to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give the glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from there until an opportune time. Notice, the three things that Satan tempts Jesus with. Did you see what they were? To tell the stone to become bread, that Satan would give him authority, and Satan tells him to cast himself down. Each one of these things is an attempt to get Jesus to seize some control for himself. The first one, the turn this rock into bread, is trying to get Jesus to assert control over nature itself. Not only that, but also control over Jesus' own desires, his need for food. The second one is trying to tempt Jesus with an earthly kingship over the land and all of the power and control that goes with that. The last one is trying to get Jesus to assert authority over God by trying to get Jesus to force God's hand. We can see this is the exact same strategy that Satan used, or the serpent used, to tempt Adam and Eve in the garden. But here we have very different results. Why is that? Why does this appeal to control not work here? Well, look closely at how Jesus responds to each of these temptations with Scripture. It is written, one does not live by bread alone. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This reflects a close, tight relationship between Jesus and God, his heavenly parent. This is our counter strategy right here. This is our counter to the devil's strategy of tempting us with control. This right here is our game plan. To get to the point where we understand God's plan and God's will for our lives so fully that we trust it. And we're willing to allow God to control things. We are willing to surrender our control. Now, this is something that is not going to be easy. The Bible is littered with stories of people 
failing to allow God to be in charge. From Abraham to David, from Samson to Deborah, they all tried to seize some control over their situations. And for all of them, in one form or another, it cost them. But maybe more importantly, each and every one of them eventually succeeded in giving up control to God. And all of their lives improved by leaps and bounds because of that. So it's not something we can just say we're going to do and it'll magically happen. Our desires for control are so deeply entrenched in us, in our very essences, that breaking them, it's going to be a long battle. It's going to take time and work. It will take developing an amazingly close relationship with God through prayer, through the reading and the studying of scripture, through engaging in a Christ-filled community. But the work will be more than worth it. Like I said earlier, it is 100% true that knowledge is power. Only in this case, instead of learning and growing so that we can take more control, we're learning and growing to come to the understanding that the way forward is truly in giving up control. Because it's in surrendering to God that we find our true power, our true purpose, and our best life. Join me as we pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who has a plan for us, that you are a God who wants the best for us, that you love us enough that you gave us your son as a way so that we can have the best. We can have that salvation that only you can provide. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would come alongside of us that you would strengthen us, that you would give us that realization, give us that power to surrender our control over to you. We ask, Lord, that you would just open our eyes. Let us see all of the amazing blessings and gifts that you have planned for us. And all we have to do is allow you to control our lives, allow you to direct our paths, Lord. So Lord, we just ask that as we go from here, you would keep your hand of protection and your hand of love on each and every one of us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.